Hey guys, Nick here. Just heads up, there's some mature language in this episode. Wanted to give you a fair warning. All right, let's get to it. Hey, welcome to Minor Details. I'm Nick. I'm James. And I'm Joey. And we are three industrial designers across the country. Sweating the small stuff. And we have Joey Zeldon back again. Um, part if, two. Part two. If you haven't listened to part one, go back, listen to last, last week's episode. Uh, Joey Zeldon is an amazing designer with a, a very expansive career and uh, awards and features. Uh, last week we talked about his career working in shoe design and then into his consulting career at Continuum um, and then his little hiatus at Costa Rica. At Costa Rica. <laughs> at a Costa Rica. That's the Instagram handle. <laughs> uh, in Costa Rica. Sorry, guys. Uh, but, but yes, thank you for, for oh, uh, tuning in uh, and thank you, Joey, for being on the podcast. Um, but yeah, we just want to pick up where we left off and you have been uh teaching in costa rica picking avocados off trees uh eating pineapples and uh <laughs> yeah tell us how you how you got back into to the design industry yeah so hiatus um so I, I put my portfolio back together uh you know sweated over the small stuff nice. and oh yeah <laughs> uh you know, and send my PDF to a few a few companies. Uh, I was in touch with uh, Smart Design, obviously, uh, Zeba, and Nike at the time. Those are the three um, that I was targeting, yeah. And that I got some response from, and uh, and had at least one or two Skype interviews across all three. Uh, but the one that <coughs> uh, that went further was with Smart Design. And, uh, yeah, I got, I got a job with smart and moved to New York city. So I, I went from Costa Rica to New York city, which is a huge contrast yeah, of, yeah. Night and of day. life. Yeah. So, well, tell us about, tell us a little bit about your time at smart design. How long were you how, there? And well, I want to know how they, how they responded to your hiatus, because I think a lot of people are. You know, we might have said this in the last podcast, but a lot of people are kind of uh, wary of taking any time off mm-hmm, because right. they think that that's going to be, you know, that's going to put their career mm-hmm. in the grave, you know? Yeah, I, <clears throat> they they were really receptive to it, uh, you know, more or less. I mean, I at least smart design was, you yeah. know, because that's the job I got. Uh, but no, I think, I think the way, you know, it's all how you position it, right? Like anything, and I I made it clear that <clears throat> this was something that was really important to me. Mm. Uh, I had purpose doing it. Uh, I made it very clear, like the value that I got from that experience, uh, and and how it shaped me as a designer, but also as a human being. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's almost more valuable than having like this very like rigid career structure. It's almost like, hey, like I was more aware self-aware of myself to be able to take a break and reflect mm-hmm. on my career and really you know distill the things i've learned in my past career yeah. instead of being like yeah i've worked at this place this place this place, this place yeah. hire me you know yeah i don't know it's interesting yeah yes and, and so how how long i mean do you feel like you hit the ground running at smart or do you think there was any adjustment period from in the time of Costa Rica, <laughs> there was definitely an adjustment period. <laughs> <laughs> you like set up a hammock. Oh my god! I, <laughs> I remember like when I <laughs> the hammock. Yeah, I tried, but David slapped me in the face. No, no slacklining. I this is terrible. <laughs> I feel like I'm stereotyping Costa Rica. Oh life. my god! No, no, it's cool. That's. Mainly for the expats. <laughs> Everyone else is working hard. Uh, no, I actually, when I started at Smart, um, my mentor at the time, Yearn Bikari, who is now a lead designer at Samsung. Mm. Wow. Him and uh, the lead engineer, senior engineer, uh, I'm failing on his name, 
apologies uh, <laughs> for that. Uh, but they they were like, I don't know, the inside joke was that they kept calling me like by my first name, obviously, but like in a, in a very like New York style like yeah. hey joey joey <laughs> joey hey, yeah. come joey. over here yeah yeah <laughs> hey joey where's the pizza yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> classic classic new york for sure oh my god and this guy like urine he, he's like half italian half german so it's like <laughs> didn't really make sense but yeah but it did so it was just some like light hazing like yeah Welcome yeah back to new york exactly it was light hazing and and it it helped adjust me to my new environment yeah yeah great guy yeah so what kind of what kind of projects i mean i i know i know smart for most of their work with oxo mm-hmm. um but yeah tell us about the type of work that you got into there and yeah so so i worked on a number of oxo projects as as most of the designers do who who go through the smart design system yeah uh, <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, OXO is in the same building uh, as Smart and, and Star at Lehigh and yeah. Chelsea, the Chelsea neighborhood. Um, and that, in a way, it's it's really kind of rare in that, um, you know, the relationship between Smart and OXO, like OXO is what helped <clears throat> Smart get off the ground. It was like their, one of their first clients. And uh, in a way, working for them through Smart is like we were in – their in-house design team, mm. right? Uh, which which made it really cool. Yeah, you know, so y- it's basically this mix at Smart of working on OXO projects, you know, as an in-house designer for OXO. Yeah, but also working on client work, you know, other client work um, with more, maybe more of a strategic lens, right? Because mm. with OXO, it's like it was a little bit more narrow in scope. Right. Not everything, but a lot of the projects, right? You know, you're, you're working on a redesign for a, a salad spinner or a whatever, you know, a new pizza cutter, right? Because right. it's, it's very targeted, yeah. uh, which is great for um, keeping your, you know, your blades sharp as, a, as an industrial designer and keeping right. your tools sharp. Yeah. And then, and then the, the other projects go a little, a lot deeper, right, into the strategy and the research. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked last episode. I'm a big fan of the OXO mixer that you did, mm-hmm. the handheld mixer. Amazing design. I, But I am kind of curious, this this strategy aspect, like, you know, what did you get out of that? Can you tell an example of some project that you did that mm-hmm. you were more designing the strategy behind as yeah. opposed to the design? So that, that one actually was it was unique for OXO. That one was much more strategy intensive. Because so, the, so the mixer was strategy intensive. Yeah, that okay. whole line because it was like, <clears throat> uh, like a new, uh, what do you call it? I mean, a it new category. A new category. Thank you. Right. Yeah. And and so because of that, it it, requ- it called for a much deeper uh, research phase. Okay. And uh, and and I think a. Yeah, a big a big part of what inspired that mixer and the headlight was, um, you know, talking to real people and in particular talking to extreme users. And mm-hmm. extreme users, that's um, a term that I think it's an industry term now. But like smart design has been designing for extreme users for, right? You know, because you have the classic time. the classic story that everyone knows mm-hmm. of the apple peeler and the extreme user of the grandmother mm-hmm. yeah. who wanted to be able to use the apple peeler. So they just stuck a, a mountain bike handle onto the exactly. apple people handle had the grip. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's where the extreme user comes from. Yes. X games terminal. X, <laughs> X games. grandmother. Well, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, extreme, extreme can mean a lot of things, right? Extreme can mean, um, you know, lack of ability or hyper ability right right and actually the the more recent work that i worked on um partly for gatorade is is on the other side of the spectrum which is also an extreme user designing for elite athletes yeah and so um so the it's it's the same formula right am i missing it i think no that's that's not it nick do you even know Joey Zeladon's work? <laughs> I think you got to go to the website to see. The you fool! <laughs> um, yeah, tell us, tell me a little bit about the Gatorade story because I, I believe it's some sort of 
uh, pod that you squeeze. Mm-hmm. Am I correct? That's right. Okay. Uh, and I, the Gatorade portion, you know, I, I helped design it, but it was a huge team. Right. Uh, so I, I, I can't claim. Like, I actually feel like, I, you know, I've been to Smart Design a couple times. I mm-hmm. feel like their Gatorade thing is always on display and they're mm-hmm. always showing it off. And so what, what, so the, the project is you have a bottle, a special Gatorade bottle designed for athletes, and then you have maybe some sort of Gatorade pouch that you can squeeze into just plain water? Is that So it's, it's, a, it's like right. a little um, plastic pod okay. that you pierce you know, by hand on the, the piercer that's... It's, like a, it's almost like a Keurig, Gatorade Keurig? Is that too much? Is that too much? No, no, no. For lack of a better... Okay explanation sure yeah okay. for yeah. for everyone else yeah that it's basically what it is and and the big difference though is that this isn't a countertop product right this right. is something this is on the go and not only on the go but like seriously on the go right when they i mean is this, this is cons- something where they come you know on the sideline they need their drink their trainer throws right. them the bottle and they're like squeezing it in yeah. and that's through it, their helmets with this, this, this is, <laughs> it's messy this is a professional product this isn't a consumer level or could a consumer oh no it's both it's both okay okay it's both and that was part of their business strategy right you start uh with the professional right again and this comes back to the extreme user right you, right. S- you design it for the person with arthritis and then you scale it Right to be for everyone, and Just that's to be the clear, money. the football players don't have arthritis. <laughs> right, yet. right, right. Sorry, that <laughs> but, was, yes. I was, yeah, I was referencing, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so this started as uh, um, they started piloting this <coughs> with um, uh, college teams, right? Uh, you know, Division One sports right. teams, football, basketball, yeah. and then and then eventually, actually, they also piloted it with um, soccer teams, like professional. The Brazilian team is is one of the first that used it, and I now I believe it's it's available to, what's the, to what's everyone. What's the name of the product? It's uh, Gatorade GX. Is the so, platform? So I was uh, I was reading your Core Saving Seven interview with the Touchy Feely, and mm-hmm. you kind of talked about how these pods are are almost. Uh, Similar to how you would squeeze like a lemon or a lime uh-huh. into a Gatorade. Yeah, so that okay, so that was that was referencing the Drinkfinity part of this. Okay, mm. so Drinkfinity came before this, and I was I was um, the lead designer on that iteration. Okay, for so there's, Drinkfinity. There, there was a company that was more of a a, a separate technology. This whole pod technology mm-hmm. called Drinkfinity. Right, and there and it's uh, the umbrella for all of this is PepsiCo. Okay, oh, so I, I got it. I got it. Gatorade is. One brand of Pepsi. Drinkfinity is another, and Drinkfinity is is a startup within Pepsi. Mm, interesting. Um, yeah. So we so this project came before Gatorade, and they basically saw an opportunity to take this technology and and pivot it to um, for for elite athletes. Okay. Wow. So so Drinkfinity was designed uh, for. Uh, more of an on-the-go lifestyle, like millennials, right, that want right. to be hydrated um, and, and don't want to drink soda right. and sugary drinks. Mm. Yeah, and similar thing. You have this water bottle that has these pods specifically designed to squeeze into uh-huh. the water. Yeah, it's the same architecture, same ex- more or less same experience. Um, and, 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 yeah, so so from my from that interview with Core 77, I was referencing this uh, this experience design, which is, um, which actually comes back to my Costa Rica days. This was, uh, my grandfather has this, uh, you know, a class, a super old school, um, fruit juicer. Okay. <clears throat> where it's like this lever and you put a, you know, on his farm. You, and it, I, it's like some sort of big metal contraption. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's all, um, analog and you, right. you, you plop in there like an orange or a lemon, whatever, lime. And you squeeze it like any any classic juicer and um you know you get your your drink you know it's similar to that uh that juicer that eve's bar designed what's it called uh juicero i'm no, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> sorry that, that was De- my that definitely was... not similar but yeah, good joke, <laughs> sorry that was like my my way of you know whatever <laughs> anyways that was like me talking shit it's the it's like non-existent right <laughs> Um, oh, so, anyways, that that whole experience um, 
you know, I was trying to bring that to to this product. Yeah. Right. Which is which is similar, you know, similar experience. Right. Um, you you, th- you put this pod on there as if it was a piece of fruit. Obviously, right. we know it's not. Um, and and you you use the the hinged oh, lid to squeeze it into that's really cool into yeah. the water. I love how that like Costa Rica like yeah. influence came out. Can we? I mean, could we talk about? touchy feeling could we make a segue here yeah, because sure. i feel like is that something good. that you began at smart design no actually i started at continuum really yeah i i the inception of that idea came from a project uh i worked on a s- s- super intense strategy project for a humongous consumer packaged goods company uh who tasked us with uh designing a new kitchen cleaning product for emerging markets Mm -hmm. and in particular it was for the Chinese market Mm. or it started with Brazil and China and then we narrowed down to China yeah and uh, and from our you know part of our research we we went to to people's homes in those countries and interviewed them with interpreters of course to understand like the opportunity the pain points you know ways that we can surprise and delight the consumers and one of the big learnings or insights that came from from that research was that um the chinese consumer was actually more fearful of the chemicals and the cleaner than they were of what they were cleaning oh interesting yeah and i think that was that was a a thing at the time where it was like there was like some you know sickness or some kind of backlash against these cleaners um and so and so we realized like we needed to make we needed to design a feeling you know that th- this cleaner needed to this solution needed to emit a feeling or evoke a feeling of trust and natural right hmm. and so from there began the ideation process which was my you know that's where i like i wasn't the cameraman anymore you know and the in-home interviews you know like yeah, right. the strategists were doing the, the research and i was observing but then you know i took it from there and, and and started ideating on this feeling like how do you capture a feeling right you know and 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 beginning with a feeling you don't begin with anything physical it's like it's like this i don't know something that you can't actually touch yeah it's, yeah. it's like you know you don't start with the sketching a toaster you start with spreading butter on toast right right? exactly that's the feeling yeah or that's that's a ritual that that might you know lead to a feeling right and that's what makes it so difficult but also interesting and so if you if the feeling in this case was that we needed to embody right in some physical form was uh trust uh and uh and natural um you know I, i was thinking what what better place to look than in the same context that they were cleaning, but the kitchen, right? Mm. So people <clears throat> prepare food, uh, eat food. That's a, I mean, there's so much trust there, right? Right. To put things in your body. Um, and then the cleaning that happens afterwards, mm. you know, from light cleaning, doing dishes to like scrubbing the stove and all the like heavy grease. And so I started looking at all the rituals around food preparation, right? Like, um, you know, grinding pepper or chopping vegetables, you know, what, you know, the the questions that I was asking myself, like, how can we leverage this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Could this instill more trust in this, in this new cleaning solution? And and you weren't just necessarily thinking these things, you were also sketching these things out. That's right. You're sketching the hands, you know, Mm -hmm. grinding the pepper and, and you're sketching, you know, the peelers, peeling the, the apple and things like that. Um, yeah, and, and so this has evolved into this collection of sketches that you have about all these feelings. And yeah, so that was, that was the start of it. And, and I realized, oh my God, like I could do this on every project. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, and I began, you know, I started creating this library of, of, um, you know, touchies, if you will, of like, you know, these hands interacting with the world around them. Yeah, and they're really beautiful. It's just you simple, like line work. You know, you have these like g- simple gray hands, and then touching these yellow, you know, highlighted objects, whether that's a light switch or 
or you know a, a subway pole like you we have pulled up right here yeah <clears throat> it almost makes me think and maybe this is off base and you'll have to tell me if it is but mm -hmm. it's like you know sort of these common everyday interactions that we might completely take for granted but there's there's so much in it it's 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 kind of like it's kind of just like meditating on a paper clip it's like you know, this design that's just so ubiquitous mm, that yeah. you don't even really think about it in the daily in your daily life. But if you were to like sit there and think about how mm. how genius it is or just like all of the implications around it, that there that there is something to gain from that. Mm. That there are there is something to gain by these actions that we're all accustomed to, we're all used to. Um yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, so I, I've been following your work, Joey, for a long time. And, you know, the, so these touchy feely sketches you've been posting, and then you made a book about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and kickstarted the book. And, uh, you know, I have the book right here. And I, I didn't quite understand the entire idea until I actually felt the book physically and started like flipping through. And it did make that connection of like, oh, wait, you know, it is these interactions of like, you know, taking the seatbelt and like putting it into the, the, uh, the seatbelt holder or whatever the it's buckle. called. Buckle. <laughs> seatbelt holder. <laughs> but, but it just, it, it highlights the fact that like every single interaction is important. And you know, that, that buckle does need to feel safe. It needs to click in and you mm -hmm. have to feel confident about that feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It, it was definitely kind of like a, a a you know, light bulb moment when I started looking at this book that you've created. Thank you. I'm gl I'm really glad to hear that. And and actually, it's yeah. I, I think you you got the point of it, right? It's 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 about the context mm -hmm. of of you know these these artifacts where they live. I mean, you know, I I always think about <clears throat> design as like theater, right? Yeah. We have we have a stage which is, you know, the context, the scene, the setting, um, you know, users, all of us, the people who use the products, they're the, they're the cast. And, and actually, designers are the crew, right? We're in the back scenes, you know, hunched over our desks and, like, <laughs> thinking about, like... Wearing um, all black. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We are, like, the stage, the stage yeah. people. Yeah. And we, we're creating the props that then are used in the scenes. But when you watch theater, like, it's never the props that are you know the highlight of the story it's it's really the the character development that matters right. most it's it's like what where the emotions are right yeah. but also if there's a prop that seems dramatically out of place then there's <laughs> nothing else that you can focus on right. other than that thing that feels so out of place that's yeah. right that's right yeah but yeah that's why like you know the best designers like you know Dieter Rams his principle of like the best design is no design or like one that's you don't see right right i mean that's speaking to in my opinion it in the theater setting right mm -hmm. where it's it's doing its job diligently uh without calling attention to itself yeah yeah i mean definitely check out joey's book touchy feely yeah i'm i'm curious if if now that you have a physical book if you ever go and use it as as your own reference oh, is wait is there a sketch of the actual touchy feely book in hands touching uh, the touchy feely book. No, there that'd isn't. Be, that'd be so meta. That, that would be meta. Yeah, I should have. Damn it. But but <laughs> but yeah. No. Do you do you uh, kind of use it as a reference? I do. Yeah, I do. And uh, although I will say, like, I use more of the the methodology mm. <laughs> as a reference. Mm -hmm. I think creating new imagery. Yeah, like I slaved over this book so much that you know the side of it like gives me nightmares <laughs> <laughs> just kidding but you know what i mean right yeah yeah, yeah. like it's for everyone else to, <laughs> to look at i just want to know when smelly hearing is coming out <laughs> smelly hearing oh dear james i'm sure you've oh been thinking God. about that joke for like just happened oh just God. happened oh but it, it is just to elaborate a little bit more on, on on the methodology i mean it really does bring to light you know the importance of understanding not just the person the singular person using the product but everyone else too right, right? because just in just like in theater you have <clears throat> uh you know a, a lead role you have a supporting role right and you have like the the what do you call them 
you know, the people that are the extras. Yeah. And, and that prop affects everyone to, yeah. to diff, differing levels, right? Right. So your, your stakeholders and, yeah. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Your extreme users, your stakeholders. Your, yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really that's cool. That's a good analogy. So yeah. how you sell that to a client, I don't know, that's a different story. But. <laughs> <laughs> Did you present this kind of stuff to clients? Was that, was that a part of your process or was that more for the team or for yourself? It was more internal. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, I think it was a little bit too conceptual for the, for the client. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I want to change that. You know, that's something, th- this methodology is something I want to, you know, carry forward much more into my own studio. Right. Yeah. Well, this was started at Continuum and then, you know, you recently put this book out. Um, but I don't know, was there any other, like, I guess in between stages there? I mean, you were at Smart Design. Mm-hmm. What about, you know, any findings at Smart Design or, or how did you transition to the next step in your career yeah so i was at smart design for four years uh same amount of time as continuum yeah i don't know i'm a a four-year guy (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what it is uh no i i actually i i worked with uh briefly um a client at smart uh who you know i hit it off with and and he ended up getting a a design director role at at steelcase and uh and we got in touch and, you know, the rest is history. So I, I basically went from smart design to steel case, moved from New York City to to the Midwest to West Michigan. Yeah. Oh, how was that? I don't know. It was it was interesting. I mean <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it was I mean it was it was really beautiful in its own way. You know, like kind of an underdog city, um, that has a lot going for it. Where's Steel Case um, looking? What city? It's it's Grand Rapids, Michigan. Grand Rapids, okay. Mm. And uh, it's actually, it's, its moniker is Furniture City mm. because uh, Grand Rapids and the surrounding area actually is where um, the big three, they call them, uh, are based. So you have Steelcase, Herman Miller, and, oh my God, who is the third one? I don't know. God forgive me. <laughs> what the hell we'll ask him oh my uh, god well it'll come up the big three we got the, it. the other the and third the other one, one. Uh, another another yeah, french yeah. and nike hey I don't know. you know i'm the other guy on this podcast so i know what it's hayworth about, what it's, hayworth there hayworth is. that's my mind going go. again yeah um so yeah, yeah. i i remember joey having a conversation with you and and you know obviously off the pod but i think um i think if i remember correctly you were talking about this idea of moving from New York to Grand Rapids was like when when Bruce Springsteen moved out to like was it Nebraska or something and like wrote this oh you know this yeah, no. this great album mm-hmm. you know sort of like stripped back and and so like you know was that something that you had in mind when you were like I'm gonna go to Steelcase I'm gonna remove myself from all of these distractions of hmm. of New York City and and the hustle here. And really get to like focus in on something singular. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Except it wasn't Bruce Springsteen. Oh no, <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, it was Bob Dylan. Bob who's Dylan. Who's I was referencing? But oh my but gosh. you know it's uh, yeah close enough. Same, same thing, right? <laughs> there is a Bruce Springsteen album I think called Nebraska where he did, where he went out there. And, <laughs> anyway, forget it. Forget uh, it. Yeah. I. Yes, I think I saw it that way. Yeah, I think so. And did I, you feel more focused. Yeah, in a different kind of way. Okay. You know, I had more time, um, you know, being an in-house designer, it was a slower pace. So I was able to write a book. That's that's where that came together. Yeah. I, see. I see. I had all of the assets for this. Yeah. I just didn't have the time when yeah. I was here to put it together. Right. And it wasn't until I moved there that I was like, like nine to five, most days get home and, you know, yeah, toil away on this thing. Yeah, I, I totally feel that. I mean, I I did the opposite move. Mm. I had the nine to five in Texas, where I, you know I could do whatever I wanted after five, and then mm-hmm. now I'm in New York, like just hundred uh, percent all the time, yeah, you know? grinding it out. Mm-hmm. So, what was that? I mean, you had worked in, um, you know, that sort of corporate Clark setting where mm-hmm. you're focused on one product, and then you went to consultancy. So, you know, what did you take from those many years in consultancy 
then back to corporate? That's a great question. Yeah, I was, you know, I, <laughs> going into it, I, I thought, I thought that I was, um, like, consulting for. I was, I wasn't in this mindset of, of like, oh, I'm still, I'm still a consultant, you know, like, uh, even though I'm, even though they hired <laughs> me, but I quickly realized, like, you fool, <laughs> like, they own you. Oh my god, they own you, and and you have to, you know, adjust accordingly, like, right. You know, I I tr- I tried to. I think there there was a lot of value I could bring as a consultant to to the organization and my way of thinking and um and they really they really value that that thinking because actually Steelcase was um was owned by IDEO for a number of years oh, wow. and they have I did not know they that. have a deep partnership. Wow. Yeah. Um and and so they're they're very much aware of design thinking and like research and you know, working with a consultant um, however, as a singular entity who goes in as a full-time designer there, it's, it's a lot harder, obviously, yeah. right? you know, as a principal there, um, which has some level of authority, but not <laughs> definitely not enough to, uh, change the way things run there or, mm. or, you know, it was me, it was more of me kind of, um, repositioning myself and, and adjusting my my flow to the organization you know it's mm-hmm. a huge company and yeah. yeah and that's the way it should be but not not losing sight of you know the unique value and perspective i can i can offer um and so i was i was at Steelcase for how long two and a half years yeah two and a half years yeah and it's a an amazing company like the the resources the facilities the workshops or the workshop that they have, the the design studio is is immense. I mean, it's it's just like hidden in West Michigan, like this beautiful haven for designers. I it mean, is interesting. It really it? is. I mean, it's the like, kind of work that comes out of that place is incredible. Some sort of oasis in the in the yeah. Midwest. It really is. So, yeah, maybe maybe speak to one of these projects here. James has pulled up the. Uh, the Embold collection. Yeah, so I worked on this with um, the guy who hired me, uh, director of design Ryan Ramos, mm. uh, as well as James Bukema, senior designer. <clears throat> we were the the design team for um, for the healthcare division oh, there. Okay. And so what the what this line of seating is for is um, is for clinics, and mm. and we designed it um, to be inclusive of all of all people right Mm. so again like another actually this is this is where the my time at smart really came into play where it was designing for extreme users Mm. right because you know and and actually the research phase of this was was huge we had we visited like hospitals and clinics across the country one in nebraska oh (laughs) was bruce Springsteen checked out i I missed him (laughs) yeah unfortunately um but this is where you know like and actually, the, the healthcare side of things there is is really interesting work. I mean, there's so much opportunity, not just at Steelcase, but in the industry in general. Like designing for people who are really in need. Uh, it's not as glamorous, yeah. you know, as designing the next, you know, sweet, you know, uh, task chair or whatever. Well, I gotta say, like this waiting room furniture is the best waiting room furniture I've ever seen. Right. Well, that's what we want to hear. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's that was one of our like goals right. for this project. Yeah. So what did those extreme users look like? I mean... There, I mean, there's some that are really big. Yeah. Uh, some that were very small, frail. Yeah. Um, not much strength and mobility. Yeah. Um, so... And, s- yeah. So how did you how did you cater this design towards them other than maybe just like you know dimension dimensionally? Yeah. So the <clears throat> yeah dimensionally is huge uh, as well as um, how much weight this can support mm. structurally. Mm-hmm. It's it's like this actually this needed to pass and I hope I get this right um, a static weight load of five hundred pounds and a dynamic of three hundred. Wow. I might be getting that a little off, but uh-huh. it's it, point is is like this needs to to hold like a significant amount of weight. Yeah, and okay. I have some fun images of this like collapsed, you know, just, like, too <laughs> much. Interesting. Yeah, so you, was, I mean, you guys, I guess you guys tested it, right? You put a ton of weight on it. And yeah, the engineers 
yeah did did the tests right and i see this detail being sketched out of Mm -hmm. of the arm of the chair Mm -hmm. and and why was that a significant feature to this yeah so this this is a very oxo good grips coming through here um the the armrest is the very first touch point of this experience for the per the user the person right um and and so in in a lot of the research we found that like that's where um, our extreme users would would kind of orient themselves. They would, that would be the first touch point. Right. They would put their hand on whatever, if they're righty or lefty, right. you know, whatever side. And then <clears throat> they would do this kind of interesting dance where this is where they would hold on and they would kind of do this like shuffle with their feet and, do, you know, turn around right. and, then, and then blindly find the other one with uh, their other hand yeah and, and imagine like someone who is an able-bodied like they're like right you know i mean if the, a, f- a fall there is a, a big deal right yeah and so um so we wanted to make that as um easily grabbable as possible not just physically but also visually right you know sight is just as important to be able to to see where to put your hand yeah right it's almost it even harkens back to the touchy-feely stuff again you know? yeah yeah exactly it, it's very if you're if you're just listening it's it's a very wing like i would say uh arm yeah to the chair certainly a, a lot of affordance to the to the armrest yeah to be able to grab onto and actually so that's for getting into the chair and then getting out um we like the the armrest um protrudes past the vertical of the legs mm. so that way the <clears throat> the person sitting in it can get this pommel grip Oh, oh yeah, okay. and so that helps um, you know them be able to get more uh, surface area and, and force to lift themselves up. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I love hearing this story just because you know I think a lot of times as designers we look at we look at designs and we're like, oh yeah, look at that, look at that sexy chair, right? Yeah. And you know, I you know I was just in Italy last month, but there's a plenty of beautiful chairs out there, but I think. You know, chairs like this do actually help people in need, and it's also well thought through. And I, I, I don't know. I just, I just want to highlight that fact that, like, yeah. you have thought about all these details, and you've thought about the user, and you've right. thought about the context. But the other thing that I love about this chair is that it doesn't stigmatize that extreme user. Yeah. You know, so every every one of those features that you're talking about is built in in such a way. That it's not like, hey, I'm a feature. Mm-hmm. Right. It's you know? not a hospital chair for sure. It's, right. It looks. I had put it in my house. Yeah. And um, and actually to that point, the other thing we we considered was um, creating a parametric v- capability for it. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine like cutting the singular chair in half and then putting the, this long spacer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I see. Yeah, you have some ex- like more ex- benches and exactly. And so so that can be that can be offered in a multitude of widths. Uh, cool. Depending on you know the the layout of the clinic, right. um, and and also one of the <clears throat> things I'm most proud of on this is this modular armrest uh, within those wider seats because the um, what do you call it the facility managers who who like designate this space and like you know create the plans of where everything's situated in the waiting rooms mm-hmm. they can. Um, they can actually uh, unhook the the armrest and, and reposition it and add in more mm-hmm. if need be. And the reason why that's important is because in this in healthcare the demographic is constantly changing. Mm. So bariatric, geriatric patients, you know that population, will, particularly bariatric, is con- is always on the rise usually in this country. Yeah, and so that creates you know a different kind of need for certain uh spatial awareness right mm. so, you, so mm-hmm. you're saying you can attach multiple armrests to the longer bench style ceiling yeah you can okay. a- throw in as many as you want okay. you know depending mm. on you know who you want the the seat designated for yeah that's cool so it's like riding the subway right where you have uh or park benches or whatever but right. but you're able to like reposition mm. yeah. those okay. support units cool I'm also noticing a little Easter egg in here that is the, uh, uh, oh gosh, let me go back, <laughs> go forward. The uh, Ricky Biddle oh steel my case chair. 
Yeah, I recognize that. Oh my god, Ricky! But uh, anyway, (laughs) I had to I had to shout that out because I saw that in the background there. Great guy. But what a great project, Um, and was recognized, got awards. Yeah, you know. So and and are there any other projects that you did at Steelcase that have yet to emerge? I work uh, not yet. Um, I'm hoping something. Okay. The, yeah. the big one that I worked on Ooh, comes out. The big one. Yeah, it's. I can't say anything, but it's. It's huge. I'm excited. I, I mean, that was. Yeah, that was. The reason that was the thing that like kept me going. Mm. You know, and kept really. I wanted to see that thing through. So right. Um, hopefully. Yeah. One day. Well, Joey, I you also have this design director at mothership i don't mm-hmm. know if you want to touch on that a little bit yeah uh is that something you were doing while at Steelcase? yeah and, and just kind of explain <coughs> what this is so so my partner uh martel esposito uh basically created this startup uh for parents called mothership mm-hmm. and it's it's this digital platform um that <coughs> we're hoping to to create that uh offers um more resources and information about healthcare for uh, for parents that's much more personalized and, and tries to essentially bridge the gap between parents, um, or no, I'm sorry, bridges the gap between um, mom friend and physician, mm-hmm. right? Or a parent friend, right? The one you go to for advice right. as a new parent. Yeah. Um, because because they went through it too, right? Yeah. It's, this, it's this like personable... Uh, appeal and you, you really trust them whereas the physician represents um you know expertise right they know health but <clears throat> we found and martel found through her research um, because this is the field that she works in um health and wellness and nutrition that th- there's an opportunity um or there is this this uh gap if you will of of having a physician, an expert, um, who is also trustworthy, who yeah. also has a more personable approach to health. Yeah. And so we're trying to bridge that gap. Cool. And so my role, my role in this was um, was in my free time, you know, and as a design advisor, helping create, uh, helping to create the brand. I see. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I I know you're not at Steelcase anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much you want to speak to what your current status is as a designer. <laughs> the big reveal. The big reveal. <laughs> oh man. I mean I know that you've just rebranded your your uh mm-hmm. you know your your personal brand. You mm-hmm. have a new website, Joey Zeldon Studio, gonna take on some some personal projects and client projects I'm sure, but you know, can you talk to that? Yeah. Uh all right, let's do the reveal. The reveal. So we have the confetti ready. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I launched my uh, my studio, and and this is something that I'm going to be working on um, with other things, you know, on the side, like yeah. like a right. lot of us do, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to just go out there and be like, "Hey, I'm a consultancy now." Yeah, yeah. exactly. There's always exactly. other projects you're working on. Um, so so I'm going to be doing that I've, for the last few months. Um, while I've been in between jobs, I, uh, I've been building my website, you know, and, and creating uh, my my studio and my plan moving forward. Um, but I'm actually uh, moving to Barcelona. What? In Spain. Barcelona? Because <laughs> uh, I got a job with HP yeah. as a lead experience designer. Um, so I'm going to be joining their design team there and it's actually a group of of great people um a few of of which are um former smart design mm. uh, okay. designers okay that's amazing congrats yeah thank congratulations. you thank we're, you. we're putting confetti over the youtube video <laughs> <laughs> i will yeah post so i have not i have obviously have not moved there yet um but i i'm moving may 1st yeah oh that's and, pretty soon um yeah this will be all goes according to plan this will be released like pretty close to that yeah probably oh, nice um yeah, yeah and, that, I, and i have my uh application for joey's all on studio should I, <laughs> should I give it to you directly or should i put uh, it in the mail or we'll be in touch okay, okay. <laughs> all right doesn't sound good <laughs> <laughs> you blew it james um 
Yeah, I I think uh, I mean I appreciate you telling that your your story and obviously if you guys haven't caught up on the the last episode go back listen i think maybe should we go into a topic or questions what do you think james i think um i think we should go into a topic okay because there's there's something this goes all the way back to square one we Mm. were we were standing around talking we were talking about the podcast i think this is when we first met we met at square one this past year yeah Hmm. correct was it 2008 yeah, 2018. I believe that's yeah. when I, I might have seen you at 2017. Were you at 2017? Yeah, it was. I don't know if we were actually talking then, but uh, definitely yeah, 2000, yeah. 2018, James and I were there mm-hmm. doing talks and things, and we all were hanging out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first time that I that I had met mm-hmm. you. Um, even though I think like I saw I saw that your work and I saw that you were in New York when when I was in New York and I was like I gotta meet this guy and just yeah. never did anything about it. But anyway, um, regrets aside, uh, I think we were talking about design research. We were standing around and and we were kind of like talking about we were just kind of you know doing what designers do and you know you. You introduce yourselves to each other. You talk about what you like about design, and then you start talking about that thing that's in the back hmm. of your head that you just that's need nagging to, you. Yeah, totally. And and for you and I don't know if it still is there. There was this thing that you were talking to me about design research and design reach researchers and and mm-hmm. and that whole area. And um, so, what's that all about? <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember that discussion. I was yeah. a few uh, drinks in. <laughs> so I was getting a little sloppy, I'm sure. So hopefully I can clean it up here. Uh, yeah, I I just think that to me, in my from my experience, the, the divide between research and design is like the, is where it's at. You know, that's where the magic can happen. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, most times doesn't happen. Yeah. And it's it's also the the most difficult and challenging, right? Um, and and I think, and from my experience, actually, I remember like um, people I've worked with and you know mentors I've had always said the best designers are, the, are those who can who can bridge that gap, mm. who can mm. work with design researchers and design strategists really well, and 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 values the research and knows what to do with it knows mm. really how to create value from it right mm. uh, and not just have it sit there in a, a beautiful you know powerpoint deck yeah right um i think it's interesting because you do have this this uh, very extensive career of working at consultancies like continuum and smart design were there design researchers there that that fed into the industrial design like were there separate people there that helped you do the research Oh yeah, and then, and then mm-hmm. how, like, how did you take some of that knowledge from them? And... So yeah, to answer your first question, there's a lot of them because, okay. um, and actually, they at Continuum they called themselves there's both design strategists and design envisioners. Mm. And oh, I'm not entirely sure what the difference was, <laughs> uh, but I think, if I recall, the envisioner was was meant to bridge that divide, mm-hmm. but I don't really. Huh. Uh, I don't really. Sorry, guys. It's not. I never really so got to it. Bridge the divide to then bridge the divide. Yeah. For the designer, right? right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so it definitely exists, and the reason why those teams are so massive at these companies is because <clears throat> that part of the business is what sells most of the money. Oh, and that's strategy. that's been the way uh, of the game for I don't know how long like at least a decade or, or two, yeah. right? Right. It's not just the classic industrial design right. Raymond Lowy stuff. Yeah. Um, and so with the whole design thinking movement, you know, in the past few decades, um, that's what happened. And, and so the industrial design teams, uh, from my experience, didn't, didn't really get <clears throat> as much time to create amazing design mm. as as much time as that was given to the researchers and strategists to find uh, the insights and the opportunities. Yeah. And so, you know, my concern going through that was that, oh, industrial design teams are becoming commoditized. Yeah. Right. Or or almost becoming, you know, um, unfortunately, 
similar to how the the model shop and the model makers have become. Whoa, that's interesting. Yeah, and this is, and I love model makers. I love, I mean, there's no replacing it, right? Yeah. However, that's not what sells the most money with these, you know, with your your industry stalwarts like a smart or a continuum or a frog or an idea you know that level of firm is selling the strategy they're not they're not the making part the design and make um you know they offer it obviously it's part of their heritage but but it's it's at the tail end yeah i mean that it when you talk about it that way it does make sense like when i think about frog or smart design i don't think of a certain aesthetic or anything i just think of hey they've done the research and they have, you know, the talent and the skill set to really just execute and create great design around that research, great functional design. But, I, you know, this is something that James and I have talked about, I, I'm pretty sure previously on the podcast and certainly in real life. But there's this idea about design research that, that you know, maybe design research helps improve a product or helps you know, figure out the functionality or, or incrementally push the product forward. But when it comes to actual innovation mm-hmm. and thinking beyond what what humans are capable of, like, I don't think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, or I want to hear you guys' thoughts, but I don't think research is how we get to the moon. Mm. You know, I don't think anyone's, like, thinking, like, going around doing surveys, like, hey, where would you like to go? You know, Texas, the moon? Like, <laughs> you know, it's, no one's going to say, I want to go to the moon, yeah. per se. yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of research to get to the moon, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, it the, almost, the vision. It almost seems like innovation comes out of like a singular obsession, uh-huh. and and whereas research, you know, is 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 about the that improvement, like stepping what, stones. Yeah, what what should we be focused on in this design in this iteration? Yeah, so uh, those are great points. I think. I think you're right. It is like innovation comes out of an obsession. You know, I mean, what is the, like the, the cliche saying, right? Necessity, mm. right? Is, right. The, is the mother of everything yeah. is what I like to say. Yeah. Um, and I think with, with um, you know, within these contexts of design firms, uh, a lot of the research, you know, the hope is, of course, yeah, we want to create innovation, but, but also the other driver is, is the client. And mitigating risk, mm. and 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 crafting a story that makes them feel comfortable moving forward and investing right. more money. Yeah, right. And uh, and that's that's a lot of what what is sold. Yeah, that's um, interesting. You know, and I think I think real innovation, you can't leave out the part of iteration and of experimentation and true curiosity. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And and I think that that was kind of in my opinion, the unfortunate miss on a lot of these firms um, is because there was so, like, the hype was all around the, the research and the yeah the design thinking methodologies, and you get so wrapped up in it, it's almost like so, um, uh, almost too cerebral, you know, whereas you're, you're missing just the, the, the most basic playfulness that is needed and, yeah. and curious curiosity right and just like playing with something and saying hey what if and and not having necessarily a strategy to it and and that's uh um what do you call it It is the gut right that's Mm. like intuition right yeah and 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 what i realized and i think a lot of what touchy-feely came from was um a designer's approach to strategy yeah because what i hated um i hated this idea of like I'm not strategic because I'm not a design strategist. Mm. But then I realized, no, I'm a strategic designer. Mm. The designer is my my denominator. Strategy is my numerator, right? Hmm. Um, And that's how I was trying to bridge the gap. Um, And... I I just lost my train of thought. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. No, I I, I was definitely... a good point. I, I definitely feel what you're saying. I mean, I even think to your chair design that we talked about last episode where, you know, you have this bent tube chair and then you put a bunch of hangers on it, like clothes hangers. Yeah. And there's no research to help. Like, you're not going to go and research and pull mm-hmm. a bunch of people and people aren't going to say, oh, yeah, I want a chair that has clothes hangers on it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just something that you had this intuition about. It's this vision. It's this 
fun thing. That's what it was. Okay, thank you for reminding yeah. me. Is is this idea that okay? I realized that intuition has a strategy. Is it, it's just that it's like so compacted into a moment. Right. Mm. And if you take the time to unpack it, you realize, oh wow, yeah, there is a reason why I felt that way. Again, it comes down to feeling. Yeah. Right. right? And that's what a lot of these the research and the strategy missed was this idea of designing to feels designing to feeling right yeah and i think it's something that a like a client um an established firm they they might be afraid to do things like that because it does seem to you know you're the wild card yeah. you like <laughs> it, that would that would scare potentially well, a client of course yeah the client is middle management yeah. and these massive companies yeah. who have, you know, like their families at home that need to be fed in right. middle America. And then, you know, they have the nice car and yeah. s the suburbs, you know, like risk is not a thing yeah, that they they're into. They don't want to make a gut decision on feelings. Yeah. They want to see numbers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they they're not, the they're not like our types who don't have families. We're in like, you know, the coastal cities that are like, you know, what do we have to lose? Right. You know, so we're all about risk and trying stuff. Yeah. And so they're, they're working within their systems, right, of the companies that pay them yeah. to, to see through, like, the business goals. So I think then the question is, is how do you take this intuition, this, you know, this, this feeling of delight that really gives design a little bit more life? And how, how do you, I don't know, package that for a client? Because I mean yeah. that's that's the trick, right? Like, yeah. you know, you want to create an innovative design, and this you want to have your vision transferred to the client, and not just be this rigid. Mm -hmm. I did the research. Here's the final like block of aluminum. Yeah, it seems like the thing that people like, you know, your Philippe Starks have mm -hmm. figured out. Yeah, it's like it's like Philippe Stark doesn't. I I don't think he ever probably comes to any meeting saying like, and we did the research. <laughs> And I mean, uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that he has people that, says, you know, mm -hmm. I think he's just like, you know, he comes up with a narrative around this right. design that, you know, and that's and some would argue that that's not really human centered design. Right. Right. But what he has is the ability to be a household name. Right. And so he's not really a human centered designer. Right. He's a. Uh, um like a fashion designer, mm. more or less. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and to that point, though, like, is, should we all be human-centered designers? I mean, it seems like an obvious answer, yes, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, should do we, we want to lose that, like, vision, that playful? I mean, a human-centered designer is not going to make a chair out of clothes hangers. Like, that's mm. not a human-centered design. It's just, yeah. like, yeah. a crazy vision that you had. That's and, right. And it turned out That's awesome. a great point. Yeah. But it, it, I think there's a certain level of, like, with, with somebody like Philippe Stark or any of the star mm -hmm. designers, there's a certain level of, like, surprise and aspiration mm -hmm. and something unexpected. And I think that, you know, it, it kind of, um, I don't know, it makes, I, I feel like it makes people wonder, like, what, what is possible, you know what mm. it, what is possible like if this if this is a lemon juicer and maybe not very good one <laughs> mm -hmm. but if this is a lemon juicer right. then what else what else is possible like what are we capable of in in terms of like abstraction <laughs> mm -hmm. or you know whatever to surprise and delight it's yeah that's a great example the lemon juicer because that completely goes against this idea of you know the principle of uh uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> Jesus. Dieter Rams. Dieter Rams. Yeah, yeah. Of you know, good design is is no design at all, right? Right. It, it just like hides in the background. If we're talking about theater, this is that lemon juicer is a prop that is competing with the lead. Right. The lead of the the show. Or is it a supporting character? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of an interesting point because you know. There are props in plays that do hold weight in the play. Right. You know, you think mm. about like, I don't know, like Hamlet in the skull. Is that a thing? Yeah. Well, I think I think that's this kind of design is 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 more like artistic, 
you know, stuff that belongs in museums, on pedestals. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's bridging that gap, right? And this is a whole other rabbit hole we can go down, which right. is like art versus design. Right. Um, I don't think we have the time for that. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but I think but I do think there is a place for it, right? Yeah. And to your point, Nick, I think um, we can't lose that as designers. We can't lose that playfulness, that curiosity, right? Yeah. Even even within <clears throat> a design thinking led, um, you know, brand name firm. Yeah, you know we can't. Um, we have to fight for that, uh, and so maybe maybe the pendulum will swing yeah. the other way. So, given the fact that you've kind of just started up or rebranded yourself as you know Joey Zeladon Studio, mm -hmm. you know, and with this sort of research uh, topic in mind, how how do you see yourself sort of taking these ideas around research and implementing them into your studio? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. And actually I've had to really come to terms with, um, you know, putting together my own studio, like my own true beliefs about yeah. design. And it's really hard, right? Uh, because I worked at such intensive human centered design led companies yeah. that I needed to look at things like that hanger chair and say, why did I create that? Why do I love creating things like that? Yeah. And it is, it is the pendulum swinging the other way. Um, you know, but I also want to continue designing for people. Mm -hmm. So, so it's this, um, reformation or, or kind of recombining or readjusting the ratio yeah. of that. Right. Because I think I ha I've had to adapt in, in these, those other contexts of, um, of the client's need and, and risk mitigation, uh, which I don't, I can't lose. Right. We need to be able to right. like rationalize things. Yeah. yeah. But uh, magic and play is so important. And so I think f for, for my studio, it's, it's going to go a little lighter on, on the research. I mean, I'm excited about that. It's like research, uh, just enough of what yeah. you need and then what you can do with it. Oh, that sounds good. Cause that's yeah. what matters most to me. Right. That sounds yeah. good. It's like what comes out of the research. Yeah. Well, Joey, again, we want to thank you. I, I do maybe one last question. Like, what sure. are you, what are you excited about in the future for your career or maybe just in design in general life mm. in general yeah i you know i think just experimentation i mean yeah the age we live in now there's so much possibility there's so much there's so many tools for us to use i mean mm. you know doing a podcast like this or yeah or the social media communities and experimentation there and and just trying stuff out right i mean it, it completely allows the maker's side yeah. of design innovation i even i and i know we're running mm -hmm. a little bit long but i even want to say like you've been experimenting with ambidextrous sketching which oh, is yeah. <laughs> insane well it's i mean it's did insane. it start with the non-dominant hand sketching yeah that's a story yeah there's my finger for those at home oh so it's still kind of swollen <laughs> but, um, but just to briefly summarize you yeah. you had cut your finger mm -hmm. cut a tendon cut a tendon weren't able to sketch with your dominant hand had to learn to sketch with your non-dominant hand and now that you're both healed up uh, both your hands are healed up you now can sketch ambidextrous yeah yeah, yeah which is crazy go go check out the videos yeah. on, on joey's instagram I'm if you haven't to, oh yeah here we go yeah it was a it, it was a fun experiment you know i, I was just yeah, I just wanted to keep the. I love it. Yeah, keep the momentum on this. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing that you know for myself, this kind of experimentation that keeps keeps me fueled. Yeah, it's just know? like mm. I don't know, it's just a fun discovery. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so with this one, I'm you know, it's it's obviously all mirroring. Um, so I, I have yet to like try the two different things at two. Yeah, two, or at or like both hands doing two different things with trying to create one right sketch yeah. um, which i know i know there's people on on instagram who, who do that so oh, i'm, I'm still working my way that's to that wild. point wow. um well joey thank you so much again for for being on the podcast and absolutely and giving us your time um where can people find you uh, online and yeah uh my new website joeyzeldin.com and on instagram at joey.zeldin uh, as well as behance Behance. Oh yeah. I don't remember that URL. Uh, I can tell you right now. Okay. Let's see. It's probably Behance. It's slash Joey Zoladon. There Easy. you go. 
Um, and we'll link to everything as well. But cool. uh, um, yeah, of course, uh, thanks for, for listening, you guys. And if you have thoughts or, or discussions as well, feel free to uh, comment in the Discord. Yeah. Uh, like, subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, all the platforms. Yeah, it helps us out if you guys, you know, like stuff, if you comment on stuff. For sure. But yeah. Um, what else? Oh, intro and outro by the amazing Kiyoshi the Kid. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, thanks again, Joey. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, as always, I'm at Nick P. Baker. I'm at I Draw on Receipts. I'm Joey Zeldin. Peace out. Later.